The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. The word of the Lord. Uh, It's great to be with y'all. Let's pray. Ask God for his help. So we look at his word, challenging passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you that every day, all the time, in uh, infinite ways you are speaking. Lord, you speak to us through your creation. We see your glory, best of all. Um, You speak to us through your very son, the Lord Jesus. And we get to hear from him today in your word. So we, we, uh, we thank you that you speak to us, and we pray that we would be the kind of people who listen. Lord, help me to teach this faithfully so that it is your word that we are hearing. And please help our eyes to be open, our hearts to be ready, God, to, uh, to understand and to see you and respond appropriately. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a couple years ago, the New Yorker had an article entitled Silicon Valley's Quest to, and I'll just leave an open pause there, Quest to what? What would you imagine? Silicon Valley's Quest to change the world. What do you want? And um, uh, help the climate, uh, make more and more money. Here's the end of it. Silicon Valley's Quest to live forever. Not even kidding. Um, The subtitle of the article was, Can Billions of Dollars Worth of High-Tech Research Succeed in Making Death Optional? Okay. Why are you laughing? I don't understand. 
Um, the article reads, the urge to combat aging, especially among the affluent, is an old one. But new technological breakthroughs can make the prospect seem tantalizingly close. <laughs> People want to live forever. You want to live forever. Do you want to live forever? Some of you right now are going, no. <laughs> and what you probably mean is, not like this. Or not like what I know is coming. Nobody wants to live forever in a nursing home. Nobody wants to live forever with horrible illness. Nobody wants to live forever uh, when all your friends and family have already died. Nobody wants to live forever uh, in brokenness or plugged into a machine. No. But do you want to live forever? You do. You do. All the goodness, all the good relationships, all the wonderful things to do and think about and love and enjoy and the people to be with and the beauty to see and the, and the, and the life to enjoy. Do you want the goodness to end? You don't. I don't either. I don't want it to end. I don't want to live forever, but I want to live forever. In our passage today, Jesus is going to talk with a very rich man about eternal life. A very rich man about eternal life. And there, the answer is a miracle. But it's not the miracle of anti-aging technology <laughs> from Silicon Valley. Um, it's a different miracle altogether. And ironically, it's especially difficult for the rich. So we are talking about eternal life. You know, uh, in, in our, we're going through Luke, and in the general section, Luke has been talking about his kingdom, what it's like, and then recently he's been focusing on who inherits it, who gets the kingdom, who sees the kingdom. And so today, he's, uh, that continues, that theme continues, who inherits eternal life, and we see the difficulty of it in this passage. And so I want to walk with you, uh, I think there's four main parts I want us to see together. Number one, the hunger for eternal life. The hunger. Number two, the struggle with eternal life, our struggle with it. Number, number three, the honesty of just the impossibility of eternal life. It's impossible. Maybe not in the way you're thinking right now, but it's impossible. And number four, the miracle that grants eternal life. The hunger for eternal life, the struggle with eternal life, the impossibility of eternal life, the miracle that grants eternal life. So let's, first let's look at the hunger Luke 18, 18, who's talking? Verse 18, and a, help me out. A ruler asked him, who is this? What does he say? A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So let's just start unpacking this. Does the man believe in the reality of eternal life? Obviously, right? And so let's just remember the biblical religion, Old Testament and New Testament, has always affirmed the reality of eternal life. I'll give you one example. Look at Daniel chapter 12, 2 to 3. That's what Daniel 12, 2 says. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall what? Awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and what? Everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So what do you see here about eternal life? It's not only just a heavenly experience, there's also a hellish experience. 
in a way, everybody gets eternal experience somehow. And so you can hear then the longing in this man. What does he really long for? I want eternal life. I want to shine like the sun. I want to enjoy the presence of God. I want heaven and all that means. But here's what's ironic. We hear that he's called a ruler. Now, every one of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, has this story. It's a pretty important one in the teaching of Jesus. You put all the information together, and you know that he is a rich, young ruler. So go ahead and be amazed, right? Wow. He's rich, and he's young. You don't get to do that all the time. And uh, he's a ruler, which most likely means synagogue ruler. So here, here is the wonderful uh, ultimate example, really, of somebody who is obviously going to inherit eternal life according to the viewpoint of the day. He is a synagogue ruler at a young age, which means he's already been recognized for having the highest moral standards. He's generous. He knows the Bible. He believes in God. And at least externally, he's living a religious life. And he's already doing this in an exemplary way at a young age to the point where the community has already said, you be the synagogue ruler. If anyone in the town has eternal life, who is it? It's him, according to the idea of the time. Moreover, there was a strong view back then, and it's still around today, that if you're rich or successful, it's because God approves of you and your life. You're enjoying his blessing because you're righteous. And so you, you, hear, you heard that later when the text was read. Remember when Jesus said, it's impossible for those who are rich to enter the kingdom? And, and then the disciples say, well, who can be saved? You know, in our day and age, we're like, well, of course, down with the rich, right? Of course they can't be saved. But for them, they were thinking, well, if you're rich, you're good. And if they can't be saved, there's not a chance for anyone. So he is the ultimate example Believes, does he believe the Bible? Does he believe in God? Does he, does he do religious things? Does he have a moral lifestyle? The answer to all of these things is yes. Moreover, what did he call Jesus? Did you see it? Good teacher. By my count, Jesus is called teacher 14 times in Luke. And even by himself a couple times. This is the only time he is ever called good teacher. And that's quite significant. This word good reflects the character of God. It means like God in his generosity, in his moral excellence, he's close to God. So this teacher has a higher view, or excuse me, the ruler has a higher view of Jesus than most than we've seen in Luke. Pretty, pretty high view of Jesus, pretty moral guy, pretty successful, believes in God, believes the Bible, and yet despite his resume, what is he haunted by? I don't have eternal life. Moreover, you take into the account from the Gospel of Mark. Look at Mark 10, 17. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man, do you see this? Ran up to him and knelt before him. So this is the rich synagogue ruler you know, back in, back in the ancient Near East, significant men don't run. You don't run in public. He ran to Jesus. And then what did he do when he came before Jesus? 
he knelt before Jesus. So he is publicly humbling himself physically before Jesus, a rich young synagogue ruler, because he's haunted by the idea, despite all my stuff that I've done, I don't have eternal life. And I think you're the one who can tell me the answer. Because you're not just a teacher. You're the good teacher. Can you feel the hunger for eternal life? This is really a a shocking story. It's going to get worse later on. But it's shocking that the one who seems to have everything together is deeply haunted by the reality that he's, he's not even in. He doesn't have it. He doesn't have eternal life. And we see, you know, we see that being a good, moral, religious person who has a, a nice view of Jesus doesn't do it. And that's like Americana Christianity. And think of the, think of the form this guy could fill out on, on like a survey. Do you believe the Bible? Check. Do you believe in God? Check. Do you think you should obey the Ten Commandments? Check. Do you try to do so? Check. You still might not have eternal life. You still might not be enough. The hunger for eternal life. By the way, how would you respond to this guy? You know, if you didn't read ahead? Because now we're like, oh, wait, the way I would have responded, Jesus didn't do that. But how would you respond to this guy? A guy runs up to you on the street. What do I do to have eternal life? Well, do you go to church? Yeah. Do you believe the Bible? Uh Uh-huh. Do you believe God? Yeah. Do you try to obey the commandments? Yeah. You might say, well, ease up on yourself, bro. You're good. You're fine. Here, pray this prayer with me. Hmm. That's not what Jesus does at all. It's not what he does at all. Jesus, Jesus is a master of the heart, and so he presses in, and now we see the struggle for eternal life. The struggle. Verse 19, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? This is both a wonderful and frustrating thing about Jesus. What does he tend to do? God, God does this all the time in the Bible. What's God always doing? He's always asking you questions. Asking you questions. Now, what do you think? Is God asking questions because, hey, God just doesn't know. He's trying to figure out what's going on. Well, of course not. Of course not. He knows. So why does he ask you, me, us, this man questions? Because we don't know what's going on in ourselves. And so questions help us understand ourselves and come to terms with ourselves and our assumptions of what we believe. So Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? And so the first thing I want you to see is Jesus probes the man about who Jesus is. He probes the man about who Jesus is. Why do you call me good? I hear what you're saying. I hear you've called me the good teacher. But I want you to think about why do you call me good? Because no one is good except God alone. What do you really think of me? And what will that mean for how you should respond to me? That's what's happening here. What do you really think of me? And what should that mean for how you respond to me? Because when he says only God is good, no one is good except God alone, he leads the man to a fork in the road. Good teacher. Oh, really? How good am I? If I'm... If God's only good and I'm not up there at that level, then I need eternal life just like you. I can't help you. 
But if I'm good like God alone is good, what are the implications? I am eternal life. And if you're going to come looking to me for eternal life, and I tell you something, if you really think I'm that good, what will you do? You'll do it. Do you hear this probing question? you want eternal life? First thing Jesus probes you with is, who is Jesus? How good, he, how good is he? And what does he deserve from you? He probes on that. The next thing he probes is, how good do you, rich ruler, think you really are? How good are you? Look at verse 20. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. You know the commandments. So you just back up. How do you know what it means to live a good life? How do you know what God wants? How do you know God's definition for, yeah, that's good? Well, the Ten Commandments are a great place to start, right? You get those in Exodus. You get those in Deuteronomy. This is what it means to live a righteous life. If you kept these laws, you would inherit eternal life. These are the commands. How many commands were there? Ten, did you go to Sunday school? Can you sing the song? How many of you could sing the song right now? I'm not going to ask you to do that. Can anybody still sing the song? Because see, here's the thing. If you can't sing the song, you might have a hard time mentioning all ten. That's why we teach you the song. Even when I was doing the sermon, I was singing the song in my head to make sure I got the ten right. The reason that's important is, how many commands did Jesus mention? Five. And then you start thinking, huh. Does Jesus find the other five negotiable? Well, no, that's not it. And then you start to think a little further. What is it about these five? Remember, the first command, right, is no other gods before me. Love and worship only God as God all the time in every way. The second command was no idols. I take that to mean you worship God the way he says to worship him. You worship him according to his word. The third one is uh, don't take God's name in vain, so honor him in every way in your life. What you think, how you say, how you, what you say, how you act. Fourth one was keep the Sabbath day, so you're going to devote time to him, rest in him, trust in him, prioritize him. Then the, the, the tenth one, don't covet, that's kind of God word in the sense that it's your heart. It's, a, it's an invisible command in a way. It's this attitude, this mindset towards being content in God and not always needing the next thing to be happy. Those are all God-oriented commands. And isn't it fascinating that Jesus doesn't mention any of the God-oriented commands? Huh. Just kind of put that in your pocket. Why? I wonder why. Instead, he mentions all the neighbor-oriented commands. And Jesus has drawn these out in other places of his teaching, right? Don't commit adultery. Don't sleep with someone who's not your spouse while you're married, of course. But then even further, right? Don't lust. Don't lust. Murder, don't, don't kill. It, it, wrongly, don't murder. But also, hey, don't insult, don't hate. Steal, don't take what isn't yours, but also give what you owe. Don't lie, tell the truth. Keep your promises. Be faithful. Honor your father and your mother. So Jesus says to the man, you know the commands. He doesn't have to argue about what the commands are. They agree on this. And he mentions the, the commands that are neighbor-oriented. Have you kept the commands? Just by the way, if Jesus came over to your house and they're like, hey, how do we get eternal life? And he said, well, you know the commands. Have you kept the commands? What would you say? 
That's where I like go to the backyard and I find the ashes from my fire pit and I put them on my head. I tear whatever shirt I'm wearing. I mean, have you, found of life, have you kept the commands? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No, I haven't kept the commands. Have mercy on me. And what does this guy say? All of these I have kept from my youth. You're not going to see Jesus mock him. He doesn't. He doesn't mock him. This man has grown up in an external religious system. And there's no reason we should doubt that he has tried to keep the commands. He genuinely, sincerely tries to keep the commands. For sure. But in the context of this chapter, Jesus has spoken, if you remember last week, you want to listen to that if you miss it on the website. Do you remember what Jesus was saying to those who... uh, thought that in themselves they were righteous. You have to soften the law to do that. The law becomes, hey, try your best to keep this command and do it occasionally. I've done that. Oh, but that wasn't the law. What was the law? Always, every time, in every way, all the way down. Mind, soul, heart, strength. Keep the law. When it lands on you like that, who's an adulterer in this room? Me. Murderer? Yep. Stealer? Yeah. Thief? Uh-huh. Liar. Right here. What command have I not broken? I've broken them all many times. But this guy isn't seeing it like that. Um, just, just a reminder of what we saw last week. Look at, look at the good example that Jesus gave us from last week, Luke 18, 13. Remember in his parable about what it means to be righteous and how that connects with how you treat others, Luke 18, 13. But the who? Remember, remember about him, right? Good person, religious, synagogue leader, obeys the commands? No. No. Standing far off, wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, what does he say? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I haven't kept the commands. I need you to take care of my need. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down, Jesus said, to his house. Justified, right with God. But that's not where this rich ruler is, is it? So he's, you can feel the struggle, can't you? He's run up to Jesus. He's knelt before Jesus. He's pled with him, what do I do to get eternal life? Jesus says, first of all, he probes about, well, who am I to you? How good am I? And what do you, how should you respond to me? And the second one is, well, how good are you really? And here, here the guy says, I'm I've been keeping the commands. Hmm. Huh. There's going to be one more probe here from Jesus. He's going to probe the man regarding his worship. His worship. You and I think of worship. What do you think of usually when you think of worship, first of all? Probably think of what we're doing here. And I don't want to dissuade that at all. That's exactly what we're doing here. We're worshiping. We're singing songs to the Lord. We're hearing his word. We're meeting together. That is worship. But that's not all there is to worship, right? Oh, no. Ultimately, uh, no matter what religion you are, or what your perspective, if everybody acts out a certain kind of worship, there's things that you love, that you pursue, and you chase, and you praise, and that you live for. That's your actual functional worship, And that's what Jesus is going to probe here with this man. What do you worship? When Jesus heard the man's response, yeah, I'm good, Jesus knows what he needs to do. Because what should this man be saying? He should be talking like the tax collector. Have mercy on me. Instead, he's like, no, I'm good. Jesus knows what he needs to do. Look at verse 22. 
When Jesus heard this, he said to him, now read me those next two words so, you're, so I know we're tracking. He said to him, what? One thing you still lack. Then what's he say in the next sentence? Sell all you have, distribute to the poor, come follow me. How many things does he lack? One. One thing. How many things does he tell him to do? Three or four. Did Jesus just lose count? I don't think so. What are we supposed to do with this? Well, hey, we're talking about eternal life, right? Uh, has there anybody ever in history sold almost all that they had and given it to the poor? Has that ever happened in history? Of course it has. Of course it has. Does that get you eternal life? No. No. Has anyone tried to come and uh, understand more about Jesus? Think about him, read the Bible. Have anybody ever done that before? Yeah, like this guy. Does that alone get you eternal life? No. What's the one thing? It's at the end of the sentence. Follow me. That's what you lack. That's what you lack. Follow me. Follow me. And think about how this resolves what Jesus has been probing. I think this is intentional by Luke. I think it's intentional by Jesus. What were the five commands that Jesus left out on the list? They're all the God-oriented commands. And then when Jesus says, one thing you still lack, I mean, you can't read this without thinking, what about those five God-oriented commands? And when you hear Jesus say, one thing you still lack, follow me. Guess what Jesus just did? The way you keep the five God-oriented commands is to trust in me. He answered his question about how good am I? Why do you call me good? God alone is good. One thing you lack, follow me. I'm as good as God. I am God. Follow me. And think about it. God right there next to the ruler. Come on. Follow me. The second pressure point, remember, he was, he was pushing him, prodding him. How good are you? How good are you? Well, Jesus said to this man, if you follow me, I'll give you treasure in heaven. You'll be richer than you've ever dreamed in a different way, a better way. And, and I'll be your eternal life. I'll be your security. I'll be your identity, your future, your hope, your meaning. I've got you. So here's what I now want you to do. How good are you? Here's what I want you to do. For this man in this case, what does he tell him to do? And this is where we all tremble with fear. I want you to sell everything you have. And do what? Give it to the poor. We just opened a new window. You see what Jesus did? He had mentioned these other commands, and the guy says, yeah, I'm trying. And Jesus says, well, there's another command echoing out there. It's not a new command. It's all throughout the Torah. It's all throughout the law. What are you supposed to do for your neighbor? Love your neighbor. And what are you supposed to do for the poor? Give generously. And what is this guy loaded on? Lavish wealth. Lavish wealth. Come follow me. I'll be the answer to your God problem. I will, I will, I will save you. And then I'll be the answer to your law-keeping problem. I'll be your righteousness, and I'm going to move in you to do 
what you've always known you should do and what you haven't been doing. Look at the poor all around you. Give to the poor. Give to the poor. And this becomes the test on the man's worship. This becomes the test. And you see the struggle. Look at verse 23. When he heard these things, he became, what is it? Very sad. Why? Because he's extremely rich. What an ironic piece of language that is. How many times do you hear very sad because extremely rich? <laughs> when do you hear that? Are you okay? I'm having a hard day. Why? I'm extremely rich. <laughs> Come on. How many of you are like, I'd have better days if I was extremely rich? How's your day? Great. Why? I'm extremely rich. Oh, this language, the irony, the depth. He was very sad because he's extremely rich. And you see the struggle for eternal life. What does the man want? He wants eternal life. How bad does he want it? He will run up to Jesus and get on his knees in public and say, what do I do to get eternal life? He has a desire for eternal life, but he wants something else too. What else does he want? Control of his money. Control of what it gives him in the community. The word I'm using here is not money. The word I'm using is control. Control. Oof. Do you see how all his claims are tested now? So we've seen Jesus' problem about, hey, who am I? How good am I? And what then, how should you respond to me? We've seen Jesus' problem about how good are you? What do you need? And now we've seen him problem about his worship. What do you live for? And now, what's the response of the man where Jesus says, well, give it all, and give it all away and follow me? Mark 10, says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. He leaves. So look at this. He goes up to Jesus, good teacher. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm not just good, I'm better than you know. Follow me but give away control of your riches. And now the man has a choice. What is truly good, Jesus or his riches? And what did the man choose? Control of his riches, which means what did he just say to good teacher Jesus? You're good, but you're not that good. You're good, but you're not that good. Do you keep the commandments? Yeah, I keep them. Here's my commandment to you. Give away all your money and follow me. And what does the man, the commandment keeper man say to that command? No. No. Because what does he worship? Control over his wealth. And he leaves eternal life on the table. <laughs> 
What a devastating passage. He wanted eternal life as long as he could add it to what else he already had. He wants it if he can add it to what else he already has. But he doesn't want it if he has to devote what he already has to it. Has Jesus ever done this to you? You ever gone through this struggle? I have very clearly. I'm going to save you from the raunchy details. But um, there was a time in college where I knew, I knew I was rebelling against God. Did I know the commands? Yep. Do I believe in God? Yep. Did I still go to church? Yep. Did I have an externally moral religious life in many ways? Uh Uh-huh. And I remember a certain chapel service where Jesus basically kind of said, but I want that. I want control of that. I want you to obey me with that. Not just out there. I don't want to be added. I I want that. I want that piece right there. And in that moment in time, I said, well, you can have everything but not that. That's what we do. There's an old kind of mythological story about the, the knights and the crusades, and they would get baptized by the church to be ready for the war, but they'd hold their swords out of the water. You can have me and everything about me, but not my sword. In America, we do that with our wallets. Or we do that with our sexuality. Or we do that with all sorts of stuff. You can have me and everything about me, but, but not that. That one's mine. And what does Jesus say every time and in every way to every person when we say, yeah, but not that? What does he say? I want it all. I want all of you. I want it all. Wow. Okay, so is Jesus saying that the only way to get eternal life is to sell everything, give it to the poor, and walk with them to Jerusalem? If so, let's just pause here, get our, get our skeptic on a little bit. How do we apply this passage? Because if that's what he's saying, how many of you have eternal life? By my count, zero. <laughs> and me too, I don't have it either. Is that what he's saying? Well, there's good reasons to think there's a very this moment thing to this passage, right? Number one, when Jesus says to the guy, hey, follow me, literally the man can walk with Jesus Christ in the flesh and follow him. We can't do that today in the same way, right? He's not walking from Galilee to Jerusalem right now. How do you follow him today? Well, we still follow him, right? We do it according to his word, with his people, by the power of his spirit. That's how we follow him, yeah? That's how we follow him. So that changes it a little bit. Not only that, there's no mandate in the New Testament that every every Christian give away every single thing they have. And if we did, it'd be really hard to take up an offering next month. And then we'd have to take up lots of offerings because I'd have all these people going, I don't have anything. Feed me. I don't have anything either. I gave it all away. Oh, no. Okay. We'd have to go convert people so they'd give everything away to us. Well, I'm being silly. Uh, there is an exp- Jesus knew what this man needed in this context, in this place, in this way, and he was calling that man to that. So in a way, some of those things are just for him. But isn't there a universal aspect to this for all of us? He may not be calling you to give as much away as someone else, but is he calling you to give sacrificially to the poor? Can we find text for that? Yeah. Is he calling you to give sacrificially to his kingdom? Yeah. Is he calling you to give your body to him 
as a living sacrifice? Is he calling you to give your mind to him, your heart to him, your mouth to him? Is he calling you to give everything to him to where he's the ultimate priority? Yes. And that's what this is saying. So we've seen, haven't we, the hunger for eternal life. We've seen the struggle for eternal life where Jesus digs around in your guts says, who am I really? What do I really deserve? Are you really good? Will you worship me ultimately? And then in our hearts when we go, oh, Jesus, but that, can you feel the struggle? Can you feel it? Well, let's make it worse. Now we're going to look at the impossibility of eternal life. You ready? The impossibility of eternal life. Look at verse 24. Jesus, seeing that the man had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Huh. How difficult is it? Verse 25. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's a certain kind of hyperbole. What do you think it means? I can't even get the string through the eye of a needle. I've tried that about four times in my life. I give up after about 15 minutes. You know? Anybody got a camel? <laughs> Is the largest animal of the area. Now, some commentators have been so flustered by this, they'll actually say, well, there was the camel gate, or the eye of the needle gate on the west side of the city, and it could barely fit a camel into it. So they... And Jesus says it's kind of like that. You can save yourself, but you got to do gymnastics, you know? Well, first of all, there's zero evidence for that archaeologically and textually. Secondly, why would you stuff your camel through the gate when there's a bigger gate for your camel just over there? <laughs> he means it very clearly. Well, you try it. What does it mean? It's impossible. It cannot be done. And if, if, if you don't believe me, look at verse 27, the first part. But he said what is impossible with man. So Jesus said it. It's impossible. I need you to think deeply with me here. Why was it impossible for this man to be saved? What does he mean? Is the man able to make choices and look at Jesus and come to him and seek truth from him? Well, yeah. Did Jesus kick him out and say, I'm not talking to you. Go away. Did Jesus do that with him? No, he invited him to come. But then Jesus says it's impossible. In what way is it impossible? What about it is impossible? It wasn't about choices. It wasn't about pushing him away. What was it about? The man has desires in his heart. He has a desire for eternal life, but what's the ultimate desire in this guy's heart? His money. And so what was he unable to do? He was unable to change those desires. He was unable to come to Jesus because he didn't ultimately want to. Now, somebody's thinking, well, wait, what about free will? Can we talk about free will for a second? Get my mini philosophy hat on. What about free will? Okay, so there's, there's a couple of ways your, your will is limited. Are you in, do you know that? Your will is limited. Let me try this one on you, okay? One way my will is limited is by ability. 
okay? Ability. I just want to tell you guys, I really, I've decided to make a life change. I'm choosing to be a power forward in the NBA. <laughs> I got really excited watching the draft, you know. The Lakers are terrible. There's going to be a, at least eight roster spots, right? Any Laker fans upset with me now? Come on, it's true. I'm going to be a power forward in the NBA. I choose it, okay? Now go ahead and coach me. Give me some wisdom. Well, Matt. Well, come on, what my culture's been telling me, anything I set my mind to, if I work hard enough, I can do it. Isn't that what we tell our kids in kindergarten? Set your mind to it, you can do it. I'm going to be a power forward in the NBA. <laughs> your will is limited by, namely, your shortness, your lack of athletic skill, and your vertical of about an inch and a half. I cannot choose to be a power forward in the NBA. As much as I might want to, my will is not free. It's limited by ability. But there's another way your desires are limited. If we went over to my garage, there's a power saw in there. You can cut some wood with it. You could put your hand on the table. You could turn that saw on. You could bring that saw close to your hand. Could you choose to cut your hand off? You have the ability to do that. But what would you say right about here if we even got that far? I know what you'd say. I know what I'd say. I can't. I can't do it. Why? It's not because I don't have the ability. It's because I desperately don't want to. I don't want to do it. And that is the sinner's inability. My heart is interested in Jesus Jesus looks good. I kind of want to be with God. But when Jesus says, I want you, the heart goes, no. And it's impossible. It's impossible in our sinful hearts to want Jesus the most to where we give him everything. And you can see the disciples, you know, you read all these accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The disciples are, they don't, they don't even know what to do. They're appalled. They're in agony. What? What are you saying? This doesn't make sense. Who then can be saved? Is anybody going to be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man, does he, does he say, hey, disciples, I'm proud of you guys. You guys chose it. Good work. Or does he say, hey, rich people can't do it, but poor people can does he say any of that? What does he say? What is impossible with man is what? Verse 27. Possible with God. You can't change your heart. But God can. And that is the miracle. You see what Peter says in verse 28. See, we've left our homes and followed you. Look, it's happened in us. And Jesus praises that. Verse 29, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. A few things to see. Another kind of, hey, skeptical question. Are you supposed to abandon your family when you become a Christian? If we just had this verse, be like, hey, leave your, leave your wife, your kids, leave it all to follow Jesus. And we're like, bye, honey, I love you, but Jesus is calling me away. And you leave, and you're like, no, I don't know where to go now. Is that, what, is, is that what we're supposed to do? Of course not. Of course not. We've seen this kind of language from Jesus before. It's where he becomes the ultimate love. 
And you no longer make an idol out of your marriage, everything for the marriage. You no longer make an idol out of your children, everything your marriage, it, or everything for your children. It's all about, it's all for Jesus. My marriage is for Jesus. My children are for Jesus. My money is for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You do it for him. And we've seen, that doesn't mean you'll love them less. It'll mean you love them more, more selflessly. But if sometimes you have to choose in a certain scenario, who must you choose, Christians? I interacted with a missionary couple a couple of months ago. And they're going to a very hard place, an unreached people group. Uh, one side, the parents aren't believers at all. The other side, the parents would not come to their wedding over the fact that the couple is going to go be missionaries. Okay? Their children were going to be missionaries, and so the parents would not go to the wedding. And so the children, do they have a hard, hard choice? Jesus is calling us to go. And now they have to choose between Jesus and parents. Well, that's what this verse is all about. They got to follow Jesus, right? Or if, you're, you know, if someone close to you says, man, if you're going to follow that, if you're going to believe that, I don't even want to know you anymore. What are you going to do? You got to go with Jesus. He's everything. And if you do that, you'll have eternal life, and the blessing of the church, right? I mean, look at verse 29. No one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will not receive many times more in this time. Many of you guys know that, right? Church provides resources for you, relational resources, family resources, people resources. It's hard sometimes too, but it, it provides us other life. And I think what Jesus is saying in the echo of that rich man leaving is, I would have provided for him. He would have lost one community, but he would have found another. He would have lost one identity, but he would have had another. I would have met his needs. So when Peter says, what about us? He says, yeah, you're going to get eternal life, but I want to ask you the question, why? Why, did the disciples, why are the disciples able to do it and the rich young ruler wasn't? And in context of this passage, what would you say? Do you remember last week, Luke 18, 17? Jesus said, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like, like what? Like a child. Does that mean, hey, you're super smart, you've done everything, you've earned everything, and you've walked through the steps, and you've earned it? It means the opposite of that. It means it's totally by God's grace. It's totally his work in your life. It's amazing to me what comes next. Look at verse 31, this conversation. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna inherit eternal life, disciples. Look what he says in verse 31. And taking the 12, he said to them, See, we're going to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Hey, by the way, does he say, I'm hoping I can get it done, you guys. It's a lot to handle. I'm hoping I can get it done. Or what does he say? No. It will be accomplished. And then verse 32, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, will be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon. After flogging him, they'll kill him. On the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. Have they come to him? Yes, they have. Do they understand how it's working? No, they don't. And you tell me, you think it's an accident that right after Luke says, how do we inherit eternal life? The next passage is Jesus talking about what? The cross. 
What must we do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus next talks about the cross. His disciples don't get it right now, but they will. It takes a miracle to have eternal life. How are you going to get the perfection that you need to enjoy eternal life? Come on, church, you know the answer. Jesus lived a perfect life for you. He kept perfectly every one of the commands. He gave up his life for the poor so that we might become rich. Not only that, he paid for our sins on the cross. Think of all the times we've broken the law and he's paid for it. He received on himself the justice and wrath that we deserve. This is how we get forgiven. He rose from the dead to show that the mission is accomplished. And then in the right time, in the right place, what does the Holy Spirit come and do to us? I've seen it happen to some of you. I've heard your stories. You didn't care. It's not you didn't believe in God. It's not that you didn't know there weren't commandments, but you didn't care. And if God had said, but you got to give that up, you'd have said, no. But then, but then, what? It hit you different. And you went, Jesus really is good. I want him. You can have my life. Doesn't mean we're doing that in perfection, right? No. Doesn't mean we're doing that in perfection. But we're doing that as a lifestyle. Show me, Lord, whatever you want. Help me to obey. It's yours. This is the miracle Jesus accomplished for you on the cross. I want to show you one more piece and just let Jesus speak it out to you. Look at John 17, verse 1. The miracle of your eternal life on the cross, changing you, forgiving you, Making it real. John 17 is just a precious passage of Scripture because it's, it's just Jesus' prayer. You get to see Jesus' heart, Jesus fellowshipping, talking with the Father, and he's praying for his church. It's right before the cross. Look at just three verses with me. John 17, 1. Father, the hour has come. Okay, pause. Hour for what? The cross. This is it. This is, it. This is time. This is what I've come for. Then he, re- he, re- he makes a request. What does he want? Glorify your son. Show the world who I really am, how good I really am, what I'm really doing. Show them. Glorify them. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Let me show the world how beautiful you are, what sin really deserves, but our grace for the undeserving. The hours come. Glorify yourself. Verse 2, since you have given him, the Father has given the Son, what's that next phrase? Authority over all flesh to do what? Give eternal life. Who's the only one with the power, the authority, the ability to give hard-hearted sinners like us eternal life? Jesus gives it. And to whom does he give it? To give eternal life to whom? What does he say? All whom you have given him. God in eternity has a group of people 
Read Ephesians 1, read lots of places that he's chosen, that he said, these will be mine, and he has given them to Jesus. It's right here in this passage. And Jesus will give them. What will he give them? He will give them eternal life. He will. And what is eternal life? Verse 3. This is eternal life that they what? Know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There's a difference between knowing about and knowing, isn't it? Knowing. God knowing you as his friend, his church, his child. You knowing him as your father, your savior, your Lord, your helper, your treasure. To know him, to taste him, that is eternal life. You have eternal life now if you've trusted Jesus Christ, don't you? It's not all the way fulfilled yet. It's not completed yet, but it's started And you see it in a heart that says, I want to know you and I want to belong to you. I believe in you. I trust you. You have eternal life. And the miracle is accomplished. And you can see what the rich ruler couldn't yet see. Jesus is so good. Better than anything else you would cling to. And you want to belong to him. And guess what Jesus says to you who've repented and trusted in Jesus? You have eternal life. And you know what? If you're secure in that, what will you be able to grow in doing? Giving your stuff away to the poor. (laughs) Not being in love with the riches of this life. Being generous to others because you know you have the riches. May that be us, huh? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of eternal life. We could never earn it, deserve it. I can't change my heart. I can't get my sins forgiven. I can't make myself right with you. But you've done it for us. You lived for us. You died for us. You rose for us. You've given us your spirit. You've opened our eyes. You've changed our hearts. And we can know you. I pray, God, that if anybody doesn't know you like that, that you do that work even right now. Do the miracle of eternal life. And I pray for all of us, Lord, we would just celebrate and love the eternal life we have. And that would motivate us to the kind of life you're calling for from us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.